Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 109. Today we'll be talking about learning stations in the music room. We'll also share some highs and lows from our teaching week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, offer a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And it's time to share some highs and lows from our teaching week. And right now, right this very minute, we're on spring break. But yes, we had a teaching week before that. And maybe you didn't block it all out like I did. Did you? <laughs> well, yeah, no. Um, my teaching week, the week before spring break, I was teaching adults. So that was a little bit different. And so that That's is true. my high I want to share. I want to give a shout out to the awesome elementary music teachers in Clovis, New Mexico. Yay, Clovis. Yeah, they're, they're my new besties. They invited me down to do uh, professional development. They have these um, like once a month uh, PD days on Wednesdays. And so they had a day off without kiddos and they invited me down and we did a whole day of singing games while well, singing games in the morning and then the afternoon we talked about learning stations which is what we're going to talk about today Yay. so uh anyways I, I had a very short teaching week because of the travel i was i was gone a few days that week but it was a lot of fun so thank you clovis i really enjoyed hanging out with you all you're a lovely bunch of teachers down there wonderful how about you tanya what was a high or low from that week well actually i do remember quite a bit from the week um okay, good because I took fifth graders from my home school to the Colorado Symphony Orchestra um, youth concert, which has been a mainstay in Colorado for many, many years. And I've been taking students on this field trip for many years. Um, and we haven't done it in a couple of years, of course, because of COVID. But uh, we were able to go uh, right before spring break. I took some fifth graders and their classroom teachers come along and it's great because I take all of fifth grade and we prepared by listening to the pieces and doing a March Madness concert bracket yeah. you know, between the pieces. So that was a lot of fun and the kids really enjoyed it. But specifically on the bus ride there, I was sitting next to one of my fifth graders who he is new this year um, to our school. And he's very quiet and a little awkward, um, really sweet kid, not always, um, definitely not always willing to participate. There have been days where he has come to me and said, please don't call on me today. I'm not having a good day. So, you know, I worry about kids when I hear that from them, yeah. like a lot. So we were on the, um, I was sitting next to him on the bus and he, we were looking out the window and he said, oh, right over there is my old elementary school where I used to go. And I said, oh, yeah, I know that elementary school. And um, I said, oh, your music teacher was probably so-and-so. And, and he's like, I don't remember. He's like, but, you know, I think I like my, I think I like my new elementary school better. Wow. Like, oh, yeah, why? He's like, well, I had some really good friends at my um, former elementary school. But uh, at, at now I get to play ukulele, which just tickled me because this is not a kind of kid who would think so hard to kiss up, 
You know what I'm saying? Right, right. He was so, just genuine about it. He was being genuine. He's like, I get Aww. to play ukulele, and that's a lot of fun, and I've made some friends. And anyway, also, he said ukulele. Well, so yeah. I was like, oh, hey. Anyway, so, I mean, it's tiny, but that was my high. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about learning stations, otherwise or, known as centers. Yeah. Centers, stations. Yeah. Um, Tanya and I are big fans of using learning stations in our music room, and especially now that we are safe to do so. There was a while where learning stations were not happening in our rooms because of, you know, COVID restrictions and all that. But we are both environments where we are able to do these things again. Um, if you are not, then save this episode for a later time, but at least listen, get some ideas. Um, so why? Why bother taking the time to do these learning stations or centers in your classroom? So, um, Tanya and I have both found that it's a really great way to practice known concepts. So we're not talking about doing any preparation of unknown things at this time. This is a time for kids to really dig in and practice. If we're talking about like a traditional Kodai inspired sequence, we're talking about in your practice stage, this is a good time to be doing those stations. Um, we love that it allows for that small group learning and collaboration. You know, we find that especially in a Kodai inspired classroom, we've talked about this so much that Oftentimes it, it leads to whole group instruction, maybe a little bit too much, a little bit too much teacher-led. So this is a way for students to kind of steer the ship on their own a little bit more with the guidance that you've provided them with the station. Yeah. Um, provides some intervention opportunities. So if you wanted to uh, level your groups for a specific task, then you can anchor yourself to one of those stations and then it allows you to work with small groups of kids. So if you have kids who are struggling with a certain concept, you can build your groups ahead of time so that when those students come to you, you can really give them some of that intervention experience or on the opposite end, if you have some kids who are really getting it and ready for some more challenging things, you can give them those extra challenges when it's time for them to you come. You can to really differentiate station. if, you know, you, you should know your students and where they're at and you can give, like you said, more of a challenge in specific stations or you can give more scaffolding for other groups if you need to. Yeah, yeah. And then just they're super fun. I mean, that's my final reason of why is that students really love stations days when they come in my room and they see the stations are set up or about to be set up. They get really excited and um, they, they ask for it when we haven't had a stations day in a while. They just really love it. It's something different. It's something exciting. Um, so I, I love using stations for all of those reasons. Did I forget any, Tanya? No, no. It's just a, <laughs> like you said. Excellent way to practice some known concepts and maybe do more with them that you can do in a smaller group. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Who can enjoy learning stations? Well, both of us have said that we've used learning stations from kindergarten all the way up through fifth grade. I've actually used it also in middle school. Um, you've got to do it correctly. Make sure it's middle school leveled. But yeah, I've had sixth, seventh, and eighth graders enjoy doing stations as well. Yeah. Um, it allow, oh wait, students can be grouped randomly or you can group by behavior or you can group by skill. I tend to do a mixture of behavior and skill. 
So I just make sure that my groups will work together well, depending on what my stations are, because a lot of times I might have stations that really rely on them cooperating if they're doing some kind of compositional thing. Um, so I really need to make sure that I have kids who will work together and not throw things at each other, because I've had that too. Totally. Um, and then, yes, like you were talking about maybe having stations that are for different developmental levels that could be when you would have kids divided up by different skills. Mm -hmm. Also, students have the opportunity to choose their own group. Now, I have not do, done this lately, I will say, yeah. mostly because I have noticed within the past couple of years is that just the skill of working in a group, even if this group is just rotating around the room together and not necessarily doing all of the stations as a group, that it's that's still a skill for them to be able to get to a new station and understand what to do and cooperate and not step on each other literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. um, that is a skill that my students, and I'm going to guess that it, I'm not alone, that my students, they don't have the skill to be able to choose their own group most of the time and work well together and do yeah. what they need to do. So um, that's a that's a thing I'd love to get back to. I love having them have that choice. And of course, I do have some students who are fine choosing their own group. But I would say two thirds of my students overall, not so much. Yeah, um, I will say definitely the first for first time or even second time I do stations in our particular year with a certain class, I wouldn't let them choose their own. By the third time, if they're showing that they're ready for it, I might let them at that chance. And then that's when I'm definitely saying to them, and guess what? <laughs> if it doesn't go well today, then next time you're not going to get to do this. And that kind of holds that over them a little bit. Um, I find in some classes too, it builds more trust if I, if I give them that opportunity than they feel like okay she trusts us and so sometimes with certain classes even my more challenging classes by me kind of giving them that opportunity um, sometimes it comes back to me in a good way as far as them feeling like I trust them and they can trust me again um, but you have to know your kids 100% you do yeah, yeah for sure all right, so now we're going to talk about the when, when learning stations should be planned. So we already mentioned when you are practicing known concepts, I will say I do not introduce anything new during stations conceptually. So for example, if I'm working with second graders and I'm building stations, I might have some stations where they are practicing half note and then some stations where they're practicing do melodically, but I'm not going to be doing anything in that preparation stage. Stage. I want it to be all practicing things. Have you ever done anything, Tanya, where they're in the prep phase? Or are you just sticking with practice? You know, I have done late prep. And an example would be um, half note, okay. where we're going around the room and we are reading rhythms with two tied taws, we call oh, them. Oh, right. right? Um, and they just say long for that sound because it lasts for two beats. Yeah. And I might have a station where they are doing a matching game where they match a rhythm, a four beat rhythm with another, the exact same four beat rhythm. And it's two tied toss. Right. right. And yeah. then another station, they have to articulate it. Another station, they um, are listening for which written rhythm matches what they're hearing. So, yeah. So I have done late prep, but I don't do anything 
uh, that is completely new. Like they're not going to get somewhere and all of a sudden see a time signature if we've never done that. Exactly. Example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, different ways to go about how you set up your stations as far as the concepts you're choosing to feature. You could decide to have all of your stations be one thing. So third grade, we are practicing Tikka Tikka and every one of our stations has to do with Tikka Tikka. Or you could do a balance. Like I mentioned, you could have some that are focused on rhythm and some that focus on melody, or you could have things that are just listening stations that aren't necessarily tied to a particular concept. Um, I tend to like to do a combination of things. Um, I just find that if they're doing all one station focused on one concept, sometimes that might be a little bit overkill. But at the same time, if your kids are struggling with that concept and you really want to get some intense practice in, that's a good way to do it. How about totally. you, Tanya? Do you tend to do all the same concept for all of your stations or a mix? I, I do because um, I usually do it mid-practice. Okay. So it's not like the very next day after we've named a concept. Yeah. Um, it'll be a few class periods after that. And so I really want, I want to know, um, because I also use it as a kind of assessment. Sure. Yeah. I want to see that they're putting this new learning into the context of previous learning. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I really want to see them demonstrate it in a written way, in a... Um, oral way where they're identifying and then you know are able to decode i want to see them do it where they have to articulate whether it's a melody or a rhythm i want to see them compose and create with it and if i can i like i like to see them do like some improvisation with it sure. so i do tend to stick with one concept but but then there's other station times where I am not focused on one specific rhythmic or melodic concept, and it might just be, uh, and we'll get to this later, like around a holiday, right. like St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I have these shamrocks, and here we're going to be matching, doing this matching game with our latest rhythmic concept. But then when you get over here, we're playing these boom whackers to go along with this Irish folk song that we've been doing. So right. yeah, I, I'll mix it up when it comes to like themes or if it's um, a day where they have a substitute mm -hmm. or, but generally I use them for one concept. Okay. Yeah, definitely could go either way. And yeah, I mean, it's fun at the end of a grading term to kind of have it be like almost a summative assessment of multiple concepts they've learned during that that grading term. Um, you also mentioned exactly how I use stations often is right before um, a, a break of some sort or on a certain holiday. You know, if Halloween happens to fall on a school day, I often do stations on Halloween or St. Patrick's Day or Valentine's Day um, just because the kids are squirrely those days. And so it's really great to have stations on those days so they can be squirrely and that's okay and that's just part mm -hmm. of the fun um i have used them for sub days again you would really have wanted to do stations a couple times before yes. you do that with a sub and, and i do it with a sub that i know i don't yeah, spring yeah. that on anybody that I don't know who's never yeah. been in my room before and keep them very simple don't have any stations that require too much you know complicated directions or cleaning up or materials but um, simple stations are great um, also on days where I'm not feeling great or if I'm happen to be losing my voice a little bit or um, you know physically something's going on and I just need that little bit of a physical break I really enjoy these station days again if they've done them before and they kind of have the, the general idea of how stations go 
they kind of give me a break, which is really nice. Um, yes. And then lastly, I just want to mention, you know, depending on how your rotations work, sometimes you might end up with a class that has an extra lesson, you know, like if you're trying to even out how many times you've seen each one of your classes within a particular month or within your grading term, and there's one class that you just are seeing once or twice extra just because of the way the days fall, stations days are a great way to, to let them do something extra, and then that allows the other kids to, to catch up, your other grades to catch, or other classes to catch up, so then they'll all be on the same lesson starting in the next month or the next week or whatever the case may be. Exactly, yes. Good cool. practice days. Yeah. All right. Uh, where should learning stations be placed in the classroom to maximize their learning? So you got to think about the space that you have in your classroom and the sound because um, if you put two noisy stations next to each other, that's they're going to not do well in either one of the stations. And I've learned myself, I've had like a group at the smart board where they're trying to like identify a melodic pattern with through a game. And then right next door, there's a group that are like singing from flashcards or something. And that does not work well. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, it, they can't, they, they need to hear themselves. They need to hear what they're decoding. They need to right. hear themselves singing. So, yeah, I don't generally put too noise um, or, you know, a lot of sound stations next to each other. So I might have like a smart board station and then further away I'll have um, a station where they're composing, they're writing, which is still a little challenging when you're hearing the excess from yeah. you know, the smart board, but you know, maybe it's something about filling out an anchor chart for that specific concept. And then maybe my next station, they might be sat in a circle with flashcards and doing something, you know, melodically with that. And then the next station, they might be playing fiddlesticks, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, those would be too. Yeah. I just try to make sure that the noisy ones are spaced out quite a right. bit. And I, I generally do four or five stations um, for a 45-minute class period, but I know that I'm getting ahead. Uh, oh, keep stations great. and transition directions fairly consistent. Yeah. Um, whenever I do stations, we always rotate clockwise, and the kids know that. And um, in between, they... Uh, I go around at the beginning of class and say, when you leave this station, here's what you do. Right. When you get to this station, here's what you do, right? Um, make sure they understand what's expected of them. And mm -hmm. if at all possible, leave short and concise and laminated directions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do four or five stations. I've actually really have been liking four stations lately mm -hmm. uh, because I like them to have more time in the stations. And one way that I've done this with my larger classes, because for example, in fourth grade, I've got classes of up to 27 kids. Right. And doing four stations, those groups are huge. And so what I've done instead is I'll double the station. So have two sets of the whatever the thing is they're doing. Right. So I'll say... You know, um, if you are, uh, I, I might label my groups with numbers and say, okay, you, you four, you five kids are in group one, you're in group two, you're in group, right? So I'll say, if you're an even number station, you're going to go to all of the blue stations. Okay. Right. And 
just kind of have a sign there that says this is the blue area and and then I'll say okay and then um, odd number you're going to all the red you're following the red track got it does that make sense yeah 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 and I use blue and red because that's our school colors right yeah and so that way kids are still going to four stations but I don't have to have groups of seven or eight you know right yeah because any hard. bigger than I'd say four or five in a group, you start to have trouble, right? That's what I've been. That's definitely what I notice. For sure, I try. I really try not to have more than five. Yeah. So that's how I've gotten around that. It does take extra materials sure. and extra work to make sure they can rotate around smoothly. And I haven't done it. I think I've done stations with my fourth graders this year twice. Is all. Okay. Mostly because the setup, I can't. I don't have time for the setup that I need. Right. Because yeah. I have those five minutes. Um, you know, my third graders leave the room. Five minutes later, the fourth graders come in. And one of the teachers, because this is a combined class, one of the teachers is like without fail two or three minutes early. And I just can't. Of course. Do it. So Well, that's... and that's another thing to consider when setting up stations too, is if you can have the same stations between grade levels or just to be able to do a quick swap. So for example, right before spring break, I did a stations day on Friday and I have a third and fourth grade class that are pretty much, yeah, back to back with just four minutes between. I chose um, a folk song for them to play in the boomwhackers. I can't even remember what it is now. Oh my gosh, my brain is not <laughs> thinking, but it was a song I had done with both grades. So I thought, okay, if I set this up and have the boomwhackers ready to go, this station will work for both groups. And then right. I had another station where they were doing dictation with like the little rhythm dice, which we'll talk about in a little bit, different ideas. And I have two different boxes and I just could quickly swap them out. But the station itself was kind of set up in the same way, but I could just very quickly swap out the box between the two grades. So if you're going to do a stations day with more than one grade on the same day, think about, is there a way you can do some of the same stations with Exactly. And that's just an awesome thing. I do the same thing. So, you know, my first station is always smart board and I just swap out the game, yeah. right? Interactive thing. And my second station uh, has very often been fiddlesticks. And so right. I just swap out the fiddlesticks. Yeah. And then if it's a matching, I just swap out the deck. So yeah, that's a very smart way to, to go about it. Um, yeah, it, I I have aired before on taking too long to explain each station and then not had enough time. Yeah. And that gets a little scary because you want to make sure. I, I, I've had to do this before and I really don't advise it. I have had it where kids didn't get through all the stations and I have to say, okay, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up next time. And oh, that yeah, is no. an organizational nightmare. Yeah, no. It's no fun. <laughs> um I mean, I think I'm pretty organized. I mean, I have on my Idokio seating chart, I have a whole seating chart that shows my groups and what groups, you know, who's with who. But then as far as like believing them, because some kids will come back and tell you that they have not, that they haven't done a station that they've done because they just want to be there. Right. It can be, it can be, or sometimes they don't, they honestly don't remember. Right. Right. And or then kids you, are absent and groups change and yeah. Right. And if I had the time to be extra organized at the end of the class and find out who didn't go where, then I would have had the time for them to go there. Right. Yeah. 
yeah. Containing so, stations to one day is definitely recommended in my definitely. book, too. Yes. Yeah, so in a 45-minute class, I mean, we're typically, we're still going to sing some sort of opening song, just a quick one or two minute, just because I still like that whole group interaction just to get us started. And then I try to keep my stations, you know, talk five minutes or less. And if they've done some of these stations before, maybe it's just a, a quick swap of exactly what they're doing at that station. But like you said, they've played fiddlesticks before. They're just using a new rhythmic element in fiddlesticks. I don't have to go over the directions again. They kind of know what they're supposed to do. So yes. that helps. And then, you know, we might talk about our classroom expectations as far as, you know, this is how we're going to follow our behavioral matrix or whatever your classroom expectations are. But here's what it specifically looks like on a station's day. How are we going to show respect to each other on a station's day? How are yeah. we going to, you know, be be safe on a station's day when we're switching? Um, but again, you want to keep that real brief because the kids want to get to it as quickly as possible. So it's finding that balance between being really explicit with your directions and your expectations, but getting to it because they want to get to it yes yeah yeah so and let's just uh throw out some of our favorite stations ideas and i always say this and then i, I gotta remember to go back and do it but we'll be sure to put some pictures of some of these things in the show notes right Tom? oh yeah so. we do have pictures and if you go to our yeah. instagram um there have been a, a few times where we have um, had posts where we describe in detail some of yeah. these. Like I'm thinking about fiddlesticks specifically. Yeah. I know I did a reel. Was it a reel? Was it a story? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's. Hmm. It might be saved somewhere. We try I, to save I know like, it's story saved. highlights. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we'll be sure to have some things in our show notes too. So you can look there. But mm -hmm. um, so you already mentioned the smart board. That's always mm -hmm. one of my go-tos as well. Having some of those interactive whiteboard games. Um, I will say not being um, a make it myself kind of person. These are things that I often buy from people like you, Tanya, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Aileen Miracle and Amy Abbott and Linda, Linda McPherson, McPherson is another yes. favorite. So these are the types of activities where the students hear a pattern, whether it be melodic or rhythmic, and then there's usually three choices. And then Linda McPherson's games are super fun because there's always some sort of thing that dances and, and makes noise. And it can be a bit much. I mean, sometimes yes. it's like, okay, the kids get kind of more just distracted by it but they also love it and it's very they engaging do. especially yeah. for the younger students yeah. yeah yeah there's been I do have I have a quite a few Linda McPherson things even though I've been known to to roll my eyes at you not because <laughs> Linda hasn't made a fantastic game but just because the celebration song I'm like I, I just don't want to hear it anymore <laughs> Well, yeah, because you end up hearing it so many times. The you kids end up hearing it, it so like, many times. Oh and <laughs> on the melodic things, I know it's this is ridiculous. I know. I get a little frustrated because I'm like, okay, so the, here's the celebration song, and it's totally not in the same key as the melodic pattern the that melodic we're hearing. Thing that we just and heard. I know that's really nitpicky <laughs> of me, and I should just stop talking and do it myself if I want those. And I have, I've built my own games a few times as well. It just takes so long. Um, yes. When I did build one of my my, my favorite games that I have and I still use, I had my son sing all the melodic patterns. So it's in a child's voice, which yes. is really lovely. I did that too. Yeah. All my snowmen, my melodic snowmen uh, matching games have my son Jude singing before his voice changed, which yep. is great because now he's a bass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. And does he remember doing it? Have you played it for him again? And he's like, what is that? You know that? what? I haven't, but I remember him doing it. And I think I gave him a little 
stipend. Yeah. I gave him I a little honorarium. Something. Yeah, yeah. He uh-huh. got a little something was... for doing it. But yeah, yeah and... you have the ability to record a child's voice. That's always the best. For it, the yeah, it is be the best. So, yeah. And I, I love um, Aileen's got some great ones where you hear the pattern and you identify the pattern. And yeah. um, the ones that I've done, I haven't done a lot. But I really try hard to scaffold things so that, like, maybe you're hearing a pattern and you have two choices. And then after a, a few of those, then you hear a pattern and you have three choices, right? Right. So um, that's always good. And I didn't mean to – I, I, I want to make sure I'm not talking down about Linda McPherson's games because they really are fantastic. They're so fun. They are worth every penny. Yes. Yeah, the ones that are around certain holidays, like the dancing leprechaun games we did just before St. Patrick's Day, and the kids like do the little jig along with it, and they just think it's the, the funniest thing. So yes, yeah. But uh, besides the smart board interactive games, I kind of wanted to also mention that there are other things you can do if you have like an interactive whiteboard um, with things like, oh my goodness, Carrie, I just forgot forgot where what what is the um, web app that you can put in oh my goodness you can like you made one with a map and you could go to different places in the world oh thing link thing thing link oh my goodness i just lost my mind yes because i've used thing link quite a bit and you can zone in maybe even on a specific region and show a map and have places for the kids to go and click on and learn more about like a specific instrument from Mm -hmm. that region or country or hear a specific song or learn some facts. And there's some really cool things. You just have to make sure that when the kids get there, they take turns and they understand that they have an order and all of that. But it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go to TPT and buy an interactive um, PowerPoint or slide deck. I also like to do like whole group compositions. So like I have like a really large 16 beat. Well, it's large when it's projected like a rhythm template where students can then like drag and drop different rhythms on top of the heartbeat. So if it's a ta, it takes up one beat. If it's a two, a half note, it takes up two beats. So I'll have the, you know, student one, you do the first four beats, student two, do the second four beats. And then I'll have like rhythm sticks or jingle bells or egg shakers or some sort of non-pitch percussion. And then once they've created their thing, they play it, they clear it off, they make another one. So that's another fun thing to do at the, the interactive whiteboard. Exactly. Yes. All right. More station ideas. Music literacy games. We've mentioned a bunch already. Memory games are a great thing. You can you can find those at TPT or you could just make your own. This is, is where Tanya hard. and I love the foam shapes. We use oh, foam yes. shapes for memory games a lot. So you might have games where you have students matching two different rhythms. Or I love to do this melodically where there's like a stick notation stick staff, and then staff yes. notation. And they have to find the match between those two. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, so those are great. And they're really, it doesn't really take long to make them yourself. I, yeah. I just love when I find a new pack of foamy stuff and I'm going, I'm going to town. I might already have this and I'm making it again. Because yeah. um, it's just, it's great to have all that. Altered board games. I have not done much of this at all as far as using board games that have uh, musical ele- elements, elements put in. Um, I'll give an example. Give so, an example. Um, 
like a Connect Four game, I've taken the little circles and I've written like one beat rhythms on them, and I made a set that has like ta, ti, ti, ticka, ticka, ti, ticka, and ticka, ti. So you know, eighth, sixteenth note patterns, and the kids just play Connect Four. So yes, there's two kids playing. Everybody else is is watching, or you could have them do teams, or you can make more than one set if you wanted to. But right. the idea is then for them to win, it's not just that they've made four; they have to read their four beat pattern, and if they read the four beat pattern then they win so is there a whole lot of musical stuff going on maybe not a ton um i will say that's one that's a little bit of a stretch as far as how musicy it is but that's just an example of i found you know it was like a knockoff connect four game in the dollars the dollar store and i was like oh i'll just turn this into a rhythm game by writing you know rhythms on the on the little circle pieces does that make sense you know what i that makes a lot of sense that's very cool um, something that I've thought about in this realm that I have not made because I really can't get my head around how to do it. And I, I don't know if it's out there, but if it's there, if it's out there, someone tell me, I want a musical symbol spotted. Oh yeah. That Wouldn't that be awesome? Cool. Yeah. But how do you make those Making things? that would be so tedious. Cause you it gotta, would. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even get my head around how you keep track. Yeah. Because every card has to, I don't, I don't know how that would work. That would be a lot. I've definitely seen like twister games. Teachers have made twister games. Teachers have done Candyland type games, you know, where Mm -hmm. students are progressing, you know, by either reading a rhythmic pattern or identifying vocabulary words or something like that. Well, let's talk about flashcard games. You, because you mentioned that earlier, students sitting in a circle with flashcards, what kind of game might you play with them? Well, there's a couple different ways you can go. So if you have like rhythm tent cards or if you have those tent cards, you can have kids sitting in, this is not a game, but you can call it a game where you just have kids sitting in a circle and you go, okay, round one, everybody speaks their rhythm, for example. Round two, everyone speaks and claps their rhythm. Round three, I will give you a boom whacker. And I always make sure it's it's some lovely diatonic chord, right? Um so that's one way to go about a flashcard game. Another thing that I have done is without the tent cards, with just flat flashcards, say a rhythm deck of cards. And when I say deck, I mean like four or five cards. And one student will be the announcer and will speak the rhythm. And then everybody else has a whiteboard and a marker and they have to write the rhythm. Sure. Right? And they, you could make it as competitive as you want. You could be uh, the first person who writes the rhythm correctly gets a point. Um, and you could, I've even, if you have a lot of pennies or something, you could say, you know, you get a point and it's a penny. And that at the end means not much. But you could do those kinds of incentive things. I've also sure. had kids do the same kind of flashcard game where, all right, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to play it, right? And so the student who is announcing the rhythm, they get the practice of articulating the rhythm and the other kids are decoding it. But you got to make sure whoever is announcing the card is, can do it. Right. Is very yeah. Good but it. then that's good for self-checking because if the kids are like, wait, that doesn't make sense what you're saying, then they realize, oh, you know, like if it's not four beats or if, if it just doesn't make sense, you know, then they'll right. figure it out real quick. So Yeah. And you can also do flashcard games where you have like two kids competing on who um competing on who can speak the rhythm. So you show a rhythm and a kid one of the kids raises their hand, whoever raises their hand first gets to try for it and maybe they get it right. And then 
a new person steps up to challenge the person who just got it right. I mean, you can do yeah. all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, it depends on how literate, rhythmic or melodically literate your kid leading that is. So you yeah. got to be careful with that kind of thing. Yeah. Other flashcard games? Um, well, I mean, like games like King of the Mountain, if you've played in enough whole group and you feel like they can handle it as a station, I've done that before. Oh, and Glynis's um, game, also known like, as... I have, you, you I have, have, you have. Yes, yeah. and I, I have several mini decks, M-I-N-I, -I, mini decks, mm -hmm. where it's just uh, four or... I think I have... Most of them are like five cards. So five cards that are all linked together and the first person has a you start on the top and they say, I have ta, ti, ti, ticka, ticka, ta. And then someone else in their card has the phrase, I have ta, ti, ti, ticka, ticka, ta. Mm -hmm. So they have to speak up, say, I have ta, ti, ti, ticka, ticka, ta. And then they have to ask their who has two ticka, ticka, ti, ti. And mm -hmm. they are all linked together like that. Yeah. Um, and that's worked pretty well. In fact... I honestly think that that's the way to play Glennis's game or Who Has I Have. I have done it as a full. Yeah. When you do it as a full class, it takes forever. Yeah. It's boring. Yeah. Yeah, because once they've set theirs, they don't think they're going to get another turn, so then they kind of check out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess, you. well, you definitely could set something up so that once you're out of the game, you go do this other thing, but I've never... Yeah. worked that hard to make yeah. it that successful then you've got the noise situation yeah i would know. really honestly just have i i love tiny mini Small versions group. of glimpses game yeah yeah now let's talk about fiddlesticks because we both <laughs> mentioned it and this is one of our favorites otherwise known as kaboom in other circles True. so the idea is you take like the jumbo popsicle sticks and i've only played it rhythmically i know you could do solfa and do it melodically. you know what i don't advise doing solfa that sounds it's challenging kind of to me so yeah. let's just stick with rhythm so i would write different four beat rhythm patterns on the sticks and then within a set of let's say you've got 25 sticks with different rhythm patterns 20 to 25 then maybe five of them say kaboom or fiddlesticks or whatever your phrase is. So they put them all in a big cup. When it's the student's turn, they close their eyes, they draw a stick, they read their rhythm, show it to their group. If they got it right, they get to keep it. If not, they put it back in. And then when they draw fiddlesticks, they, that one student puts all of their sticks back in and starts over from scratch. And um, they love this game. It's like their absolute favorite. If I plan it's a station favorite. Day, yeah. Yeah. If I plan a station stay and I don't put fiddlesticks in, they're like, where's fiddlesticks? We want to play yeah. So I have sets for every grade level. They just live in cups on my shelf. And this yep. is just a great thing. I'll just grab two, like, as an early finisher activity. If, if we're doing, a, you know, a worksheet or some sort of project, if kids finish early, they know they can go grab fiddlesticks. And that's something yes. that they can just do on their own. But I love that mine are color-coded. So yes. I have different colored tongue depressors. Yep. that I use for different uh, rhythmic sets, yeah. right? And so, I just use different color Sharpie on each of my Yes, sets. and that's another yeah. way to color code. Yeah. Um, and then a word of explanation on the idea of doing it melodically. All right, maybe your kids are awesome. Uh, British primary school guy from Instagram, I bet your kids <laughs> could do this, okay? But nobody else. Um, not mine. <laughs> but not mine, okay? But... Maybe, maybe the first person will go, um, so la, so me, maybe, maybe. And then the next person will go, okay, my stick is so me, so me. Yeah, they do. just end up speaking. They it. just speak it. And what yeah. is, why, What's why 
there's no point in that. Yeah. There's none. Yeah. You're not doing anything. Um, and I don't know, maybe uh, I, it's, it's not worth trying to figure out how to get them there. It, that yeah. would be a lot of independence melodically. Um, it's not happening right now. There's other melodic things you can do. This uh, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'll spend my energies elsewhere than trying yeah. to make successful. And same thing with Glynis's game. If anybody tries to sell you a Glynis's game with melodic, they it's a snake oil salesman move. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not happening in my world. It's not happening, no. All right, let's move on to some other station ideas. So instruments, again, you have to be careful what your choices are here and how you space them around the room. But I typically have at least one station, well, I will say one station, where students are playing instruments in some way. So this is a great time to get out the boom whackers um, and have songs either color-coded or have manipulatives where kids can create something with big buttons that color code to the boom whackers or whatever. I love boom whackers for stations because because they're really actually not that loud comparatively to other instruments. Um, and also they're the least expensive. So I'm not quite as worried about leaving boom markers out as I might be putting ORF instruments out. Not to say I haven't done that because I do, but especially mm -hmm. if like, for example, leaving stations for a sub, I would not leave ORF instruments, but no, I would leave, I would no. leave boom markers. I would be fine uh, with that. I would not want to come back to a bunch of ORF instruments that have been left for a station. Exactly. Frankly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so boom markers are definitely a go-to of mine. Um, other instruments, recorder, so it just becomes like a practice station. I'll have song packets there or songs uploaded to Google Classroom and they have their device with them. Um, or again, you can have things where they're creating and composing and writing their own thing. Um, ukulele, songs that they could practice ukulele with different chord charts. Um, ORF instruments, if you want to have them play known songs or create new songs. Um, non-pitched percussion, this would be like if they're doing like rhythm composition, you could have them play things on non-pitched percussion instruments. I'm a big fan of like circles of kids reading rhythms and playing them on wood blocks, for yeah, example. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And then keyboards, if you have them with headphones, that's a great opportunity. Kids just love to go and mess with the buttons and just play around with all the different sounds on the keyboards and I'm like have at it as yeah. long as you have headphones that you feel comfortable having your kids wear that you're able to either sanitize or do what you need to between yes and can I say a word for instruments and stations because yeah. here's another way to do stations that I honestly didn't do until this year um, my fifth graders were working on a Brazilian folk song I think it's a folk song um, called uh, tambores and there is a hand clapping game element to it um, that is leveled. There's like level one, level two, level three of this hand clapping game. Plus I created an ORF accompaniment that's very simple to go along with it. Plus we can play the chords on ukulele. Plus I added a drum part to it. And this is a piece that my fifth grade at my traveling school that I'm going to, they're going to do for a performance. So for stations on one day, uh, it was just around this song. And so there was the practice, the percussion on conga station. So it was Tubanos and congas. And if you're in this station, you were practicing that part. And then when you went to the ukulele station, you were practicing playing the chords as a group you know, through the song. And when you went to the xylophones, you were practicing 
the xylophone part for this song. And then there was also a let's practice the hand clapping and singing the song. So it was a little bit noisy because I know every station was playing and making. And we didn't play all together until the very end of class where I said, hey, why don't you go where you want? And actually worked out well this time that I had enough parts covered. But it was just a good way to like really zone like really focus concentrated practice on this one part for this one song that's a great idea so that was kind of fun and i'd never done that before yeah yeah all right moving on to music writing and composition so this is a great time to bust out all of those manipulatives that you've been using whole group to practice and then let kids do things on stations i mentioned the rhythm blocks i'm a big fan of those one inch rhythm cubes um, or rhythm dice and then basically on each side you write different one beat rhythms so i have a set that are just ta ti ti quarter rest i have a set that include ticka ticka um, i have a set that include TT, but split T's. So I yeah. use those with my fourth graders when we're learning about split T's. Um, yeah, so students can do chance composition where they're rolling the dice and creating things. This is another time where I do like the dictation where I have flashcards and one student is the teacher or the caller and they call out a four beat rhythm and the other students have to write it and then they rotate yep. that job. Mm-hmm. So rhythm blocks are a big hit in my class. Um, yeah. Similar with popsicle stick rhythms, you can have students creating different rhythms and writing compositions with your popsicle sticks or it can be just as simple as paper and pencil like (laughs) yes nothing wrong with worksheets yes (laughs) here's eight dashes that's the beat write your rhythm on top of each beat give us a one beat rhythm create a two measure in you know using our new rhythm yeah yeah And then melodically um, staff boards with the little bingo chips or your mini erasers. Now, I will say this is generally a station where I would anchor myself for two reasons. One, because melodic dictation is more difficult. And this is oftentimes where I'm like really seeing where my kids are at. And two, I'm not leaving out mini erasers in a station because they're going to get stolen. I was going to say that. (laughs) I didn't want to sound jaded, but I was going to say that's that's when your coolest mini erasers will get stolen. Yeah, no, this is, but, but melodic. Melodic work is hard, and this is where I really like to work with small groups of kids to really see who's getting it and who's not. So whether it's dictation or composition or whatever, um, having them work with those staff boards in a small group is really, really great. And a word on assessment, because this would be a station, if you're anchoring yourself there, where you could very easily just get out your grade book and do a little this child can do it this child can't do it yeah or you know you can get more involved if you're able and say this child can do it to this extent um or you you know you you have to decide your parameters ahead of time of course and i think it's always a good idea to tell students that that's what you're doing every time i grade students i i nearly always say Listen, I'm assessing you right now, and uh-huh. I'm just writing down, kindergartners, I'm writing down whether you're using a singing voice or a talking voice. That's all. Yep. And I tell them that. And if it's more involved, then I'll tell them. And now, that's not for, there's sometimes when I'm informally assessing, and I'm usually not writing it down at that point, and I'm just observing and going, yeah. oh, well, hey, there look. Are the trends. So-and-so, they are doing this well, and you know, that's great. And now I know in the future that I can call upon them to lead this part of this song or whatever. Yeah. So, but yeah, as, as far as assessing goes, it's really good 
when we're talking about music writing and composition is just to really quickly just check off, can do it, can do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, I will also say, though, if it's your first time doing stations with a particular class, that's not the time to have a station where you have to anchor yourself. No, yeah, for you sure. You want to be able you to roam and help. Yeah. yeah, and make sure the other stations are really simple so you're not having to constantly leave the station that you're supposed to be sitting at to deal with problems at the other stations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, and so for another station idea... You uh, mentioned singing and storytelling. Yeah, I call it singing and storytelling. So this is where, especially with kindergarten, first grade, kind of pre-literacy, we need some stations that don't involve music literacy because they might not be there yet. So this is where I might put out a basket of selected picture books that I've already sung to them and they're familiar with. So they, quote unquote, read it and sing it themselves, but likely they're just recalling from what we've done together as a group. Um, If there's a singing game that they know really well maybe they can play that on their own in a small group so maybe they can play bb bumblebee with my bee puppet and they take turns being the leader and they play that singing game on their own Mm -hmm. um i also love to give them the opportunity to act out story songs and this is where i might give them some puppets or some little stuffed animals and let them just kind of have that play time that 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 pretend time have you ever done a station like that tanya you know what i haven't done one where they've acted out um any kind a story song, but I definitely done like a singing game. I've done bounce high, bounce low with like, when you get to bounce high, bounce low, then you sing and bounce the ball to each other in a, mm-hmm. in a small circle over here. Um, but that's an interesting thought. Now I have had times, not during stations, where kids are assigned to like come up with a verse and act it out and we'll all meet back here in like five minutes and then we'll share. But I haven't done it in a station, and that's an interesting yeah. thing to do. Like yeah. an example is like the song, Five Little Speckled Frogs Sat on a Speckled Lug. I found at Ikea these little mini frogs. They were these little mini stuffed animal frogs, so I bought five of them. And then I had this like piece of like brown felt that I turned into the log and then I had like a blue scarf and that was their pond and so I just told them use these materials to sing the song and act it out so they were like moving they were moving the frogs from the log into the pond and that's all they were doing and they were singing the song while they went and it was it's just awesome yeah yeah I I wouldn't recommend that for fourth or fifth grade no this is definitely the younger students that's very (laughs) sweet I would love to that would be uh yeah a awesome fun station to yeah and they just love when they get to use the puppets themselves and when they get to like i said pretend and have pretend playtime. i mean our kids just we know they don't get enough of that anymore so well yes and you know what i have another station that i just want to mention that has no category really um i use my mindful glitter bottles Oh, yeah. Right. And I have them kind of in like a calming. I don't have a corner. I have a calming like area. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really a a good way for students to like stare and flip the bottle over and watch all the glitter settle. And um, I have a lot of these bottles. Uh, I don't have all of them out because that would not be that would be not (laughs) good for a normal class. (laughs) However, at the beginning of the year, it usually happens that when I talk about, you know, if you need to calm yourself down or whatever, I when I show these glitter bottles, the kids, even if they've seen them before, because all of them have, 
um, they are mesmerized and they all want to use one of the calming bottles and we don't have all the time for everybody to use that so at the beginning of the year my first stations day with pretty much everybody k through five what whatever their first stations day is i make my mindful bottles a station yeah that's a great idea there and i i really do have like six or seven i can put out and they just like stare at them and and have races like oh will the red glitter get to the bottom sooner than the green glitter you know it's it's very silly and there's nothing music learning going on there's no thing that we're learning from this we're just playing with the mindful bottles but they get that opportunity to use the tool and use it right and get it out of their system so that's right so they don't have to come in and 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 pretend to have uh, i don't know anxiety to use the bottles they can just use them yeah. yeah. All right. Well, final station idea. This is probably very obvious, especially after the last couple of years, but technology, any type of technology students are able to use on a one-on-one basis. So whether it's Chromebooks, um, iPads, you know, and this is great if you don't have one-to-one devices, but you might have five or six devices, then the students get the opportunity to rotate through the stations and then each group gets a chance to use them. So whether you have assignments set to Google Classroom or Seesaw or Schoology or whatever, and you have a specific assignment for them to do, or you have a website with um, different links of different websites that you want them to go to. Obviously, with iPads, you set up what apps you want them to use ahead of time, but just a great way to get kids using purposeful technology, especially if you're not a one-to-one school. Yes, and this is a great station because you can, that limited time can be just enough time for them to really dig into something like one of the Chrome Music Lab opportunities um and get in there and not get bored with it yeah right so whenever i have a individual technology station they really do the thing that they're supposed to do they're not going and and watching random youtube videos and live night at nights at freddy's whatever (laughs) that is stuff yeah especially yeah if you're able to block things and set things up ahead of time and be very explicit about it And then also a listening station. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with good old listening stations, whether it's on devices that they already have or old cassette tapes that you still have lying around or well, old iPads. Well, I use a CD or... player, honestly. I have a, um, I have a older boombox, and mm-hmm. it's a CD player. It's also a tape player. Uh, and then at the back, it has input for, gosh, I think it's like eight headphone jacks that I can plug in yeah and I really do prefer them listening all together with headphones on um, rather than individually on like their Chromebook yeah and then do you have some sort of response for them to do when they're done listening or sometimes questions or I yeah. do yeah sometimes I utilize like um, a listen and roll so they'll listen Maybe it's a two and a half, three minute piece. They listen and then they roll the, a big dice and it'll um, ask a question either directly on the dice because I have some dice that have little whiteboard segments that you can, you know, write in. Yeah. Or you could say you can have a sh- corresponding sheet that says, all right, if you rolled a three, talk about what instruments you hear. If you rolled a four, talk about what kind of emotion you think the composer was going for. Now, I don't always do that. Sometimes I think it's nice for the kids to just listen yeah. and not be required to have 
a lot of talking afterwards. And they might not have time, depending on the... No, and that's the other thing, is they might not have time. And it's been very interesting that um, a couple of times that I've had a listening station where I don't have them talk about it, at the end, when I ask what their favorite station is, it's usually split between the listening station and fiddlesticks. Yeah, kids love that. They just love to just chill out and listen yeah. to music. I like to chill out and listen to music. Me too. All right. Well, let's wrap this up with just some quick tips and tricks. We kind of mentioned some of these along the way. Um, so starting with using some sort of cone or marker so students can find the stations. I'm a big fan of like, I have a set of PE cones and I just on a Sharpie, just I have six of them, even though I generally do only four or five stations, I have six just in case. And I just wrote the numbers on there with Sharpie and I place them around the room so they can easily find where they're going. Just to I, easy. I have way. laminated numbers yeah. on paper there and I know. tape them up. That works too. Um, Tanya already mentioned posting directions. I mean, obviously know your kids. Don't make them too wordy, especially for primary kids. I've also um, seen where students have gotten those like little buttons where you can pre-record yourself talking. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. And I've thought about this. And you know what? I, I, just, ha- I, I just keep imagining that they'll be like, that's so cool. Let's figure out how can we can this record is true. ourselves. Yeah, that yeah. might be more just, I don't have them personally just because that's more money than I'd want to spend. But I think in theory, it's a good idea. It um, sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you do stations whole group for things that you're using manipulatives for or, you know, any of these types of flashcard games and even the, 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 um, what pattern do you hear? The interactive whiteboard games. I always make sure I play those whole group in a lesson before they do it um, individually during their stations. Yes. You'll have much more success that way. For sure. Um, using special seating during stations. So I mentioned like the one where if you have a student who's playing the role of the teacher where they get to read the rhythm cards and then everybody else has to write it with blocks or popsicle sticks or whatever, they get to sit in like my teacher chair and I set that station up where I normally like sit and read books to the kids. So um, having special bean bags or special seating, having props like pointers, um, things like that make the kids more excited about the station than just going to it, especially if a station that might not be all that exciting if you give them a pointer all of a sudden they're like oh this is really fun yeah (laughs) they get to play with the extra stuff you know yes and in between stations uh when kids are rotating and transitioning from one station to another you could play recorded music or play something on the piano which is what i usually do um like if we're doing ray stations i'll probably play rocky mountain high exactly and they hear rocky mountain high and they're very pavlovian about it it's very cute yeah. that they hear that and they start singing rocky mountain high and they start cleaning up the station and moving towards the next one so yeah. it's great when you get them well trained with that because then yep. they transitions are easy yeah yep. um and lastly i wanted to talk about uh argumentative groups If you have students who are not good at cooperating and are not really um, awesome with those executive functioning skills and cooperation skills, that you might want to do something where you're assigning roles for every individual within the group. It sounds tedious, but it can really cut down on arguments about who should be doing what. So some of the roles that I have come up with is all right, you are the person who passes out the things when you get to this station. 
All right, you are the announcer. You are going to be the person that reads the instructions out loud to your group when you get to the station, and that's your job. The timekeeper, like if within that station people are changing, like who's reading the rhythm that everyone else is writing, you're the person who makes sure that the person, that the announcer or the person who is dictating the rhythm gets three turns and then it goes to somebody else, right? Um, the director, oh, I just said that, keeps track, track of turn order, um, who is next, who needs to get a turn and what order you go in. And, and this all sounds kind of tedious, but this is, take a page from a classroom teacher time mm -hmm. where these are, you, you'll be, I mean, I'm always impressed when I see classroom teachers who have really challenging groups and challenging in a way that they just have trouble getting along right? and figuring out how to function as a group, yeah. that it seems like there's lots of classroom jobs so that everyone understands that they have an important role and they can really just dig into, this is my responsibility, I'm the announcer and this is what I do. I love right. that. I've never done that, but that's a great idea. Yeah. It's time for our Know Better, Do Better segment. And Carrie, what have you? All right. I want to talk about singing games. And I want to talk about how we as educators need to know the difference between a singing game or a play party that is like intrinsic to that particular song. They go hand in hand. They were passed down together versus a game. And I use that term game loosely, as we all do. That was more teacher created. Not only is it important for us to know that just so we understand the, the history and the the origin of the song that we're teaching but also because it's then we can take games that were teacher created and we can apply them to different things so here's an example of what i'm talking about so the song Chicken on a Fence Post, many of us have removed that song from our classroom because of harmful verses that have been passed down. And so I have decided that song does not have a place in my classroom anymore, as many other music educators have. And many teachers I've heard talk about how, yes, I know I, I don't want to do this song in my classroom anymore, but man, that game is so fun. The game meaning the two concentric circles with some sort of rubber chicken in the middle, and then you have two students um, who are racing to get to that rubber chicken through gates and da-da-da-da-da. Well, the thing is, that game, it's not intrinsic to the song. Um, I've actually seen Facebook posts about this um, within, I think it was the Kodai Educators Group, where someone was trying to ask, who does anyone know who created this game? And no one's really been able to pinpoint exactly who created this game and where and when. But the consensus is that it, some wonderful, well-meaning teacher came up with this fun game to go along with this song along the way. So the idea is, well, then can we take that game and can we play it with a completely different song? You know, and I wouldn't necessarily do this in the same school year. Like, hey, kids, we were doing chicken on a fence post and now we're not. But let's play this game with this other song because the kids will associate the game with the song. Maybe give it a year or two. But the song that I'm thinking of that I have 
started playing the chicken game with is Sansa Chroma, which is a singing game from Ghana. And the specific source that I have learned this song from is called Let Your Voice Be Heard, and we will link to it in the show notes. It is a fantastic resource of songs from Zimbabwe and Ghana. And so the direct translation, or the loose translation, I guess I should say, is Sansa the Hawk, you are an orphan, so you spend all day flying around snatching up baby chicks. So baby chicks, chicken. So I take this chicken on a fence post game and I tell my students, here's the other important part. I tell them this is not the traditional game. This is a game that we're going to play while we sing this song just for fun. The traditional game is actually a passing game, whether it's a stick passing game or a rock passing game. I've seen it both ways. So maybe we play that game one day and then another day we play this other game. And again, and I tell the kids, this is not the traditional game. This is just a fun game that we can play while we sing this song. And so the idea of being able to take a game that was teacher created, that is somehow attached to somehow a a harmful piece of literature and put it with a different song, there's nothing wrong with that because the song and the game are not hand in hand. They don't necessarily historically go together. Yes, I totally agree. Um, I just also wanted to mention again, what you had just mentioned about making sure that you as the teacher understand which songs and games came about together organically and which games have been tacked on from music teachers or from other groups. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you really, you should know about that because um, a lot of the music in our American tradition or in any society, those songs and games, they came together and then there's a reason that the song and the game are the way they are Uh, my level one teacher joe kirk who is wonderful 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 she made sure that we wrote whether or not if if we created a game that went with a song we had to notate i did this or i saw someone else play this game with this song and that's why it's here because in your own brain you should know these things and you should also make sure you are sharing that with your students yeah And I want to also give credit where credit is due. The specific idea of taking the chicken game and putting it with Sansa Chroma was actually my student teacher from a few years ago, Brian. We were doing this song with some older students, and he just wanted to do something different with it. He felt like they were starting to lose interest. And so before the lesson, he said, well, do you think it's okay if we play the quote-unquote chicken game? And I was like, totally, because they hadn't played chicken on a fence post since since they were Mm -hmm. really, really way younger, so they didn't even remember it anyways, to be honest. And um, yeah, so thanks, Brian, for the idea because it's, yeah. it's a great one. So now it's time for a work smarter, not harder teacher tip. And Tanya has one today. Go for it. Okay. Well, this is not just a teacher tip. This is a just getting organized tip in general because I'm doing some spring cleaning in my home office and going through piles of things that I should have gone through before. Um, As I am putting things back where they go and trying to get much more organized, I'm loosely organized around here, but it needs more. Um, I just make sure that I have either a note card or either or even like a um, notebook opened up to a blank piece of paper so that I can take notes 
on things that come into my head that I know I need to do instead of stopping everything and doing those things. I yeah. bet you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so I might be going through a pile of papers. They all have different destinations and I might just be putting them into sub piles, right? And I'll come upon something and go, oh yeah, that reminds me. I got to make sure that we're ready to go for the, the Rockies game that we're going to sing at. Oh, I'm going to open up my computer and check my email and see who's coming. Now I'm going to go in and change up the, like I don't need to go down those rabbit holes while I'm really trying to just sort through papers. So I just make sure I have something to take notes on so that all those interrupting thoughts have a place to go so I can go back. I love it. And if you're like me and you hate paper, I do it on my reminders to-do list app. You could do phone. that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've done it in Google Keep as well. Yeah. And it's our CODA section where we talk about something that we are enjoying in life in general. Inside the classroom, outside the classroom, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, somewhere spring break is where I was enjoying this. So yes. it's spring break and my family decided, well, unfortunately decided we weren't going to go anywhere for spring break this year because, you know financial situations and all of that and so we're making the best of it and we're doing fun things at home but that also does include a lot of screen time and you know what we kind of all needed some chill time so i'm going to recommend a tv show it's on hulu it is called life and beth it is written and stars uh amy schumer who is just a delight and it's definitely a dark comedy um it's there's some sad moments, there's some hilarious moments, there's some really inappropriate moments, definitely don't watch with your kids, um, but it has a great cast, and um, Jonathan Groff, who's like my one of my favorites in anything he does, has, has a, a brief moment in the show that is hilarious and bizarre. Um, anyways, so yeah, I, I basically binged watched the entire show in like two days, and it's really good, and I definitely recommend it if you like dark comedy. It's definitely Dark. that genre. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How about you, Tanya? Well, um, I've been listening to some music that I hadn't listened to for quite a while, uh, mostly because in my album group, um, it was my turn to pick an album, and I wanted something that was different from what I usually pick, which is indie rock stuff. And something that was very meaningful to me that, um, and anyway, I came up with the Bulgarian Women's Choir. Okay. Do you, do you know the Bulgarian Women's Choir? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just remember back in college when I was singing in choirs is when I first got introduced to the Bulgarian Women's Choir. Um, Bulgarian Television Women's Choir, I think is their official okay. name. Um, and they actually came and sang at my university and I have a Bulgarian Squire t-shirt. Nice. I know. Anyway, it was really fun revisiting their first, quote, album, which I really, th well, I know was recorded back in the 70s by a Danish ethnomusicologist, but was released in like 1991, I believe. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's a good listen. 
It's available on Spotify, Bulgarian Women's Choir. The, the harmonies are very tight and close and dissonant to my Western ears. Yeah. Um, their sound, they sound very similar to um, Daka Braka, you know, the, huh, the, the Ukrainian, um, Ukrainian group, yeah. group uh, which makes sense considering ge geographically where they are. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's different. It was like the first time in my choir life that I was introduced to such different tone qualities. And it's just beautiful stuff, very meditative, and I love it. Nice. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And as always, we appreciate folks buying us coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking.